Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's shaking, everybody? In-betweeners? In-betweeners, gutter trash. Uh, That's all I got. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to look for something else, but, you know, patent pending. Patent pending. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, in today's episode, we're going to jump into... A new episode uh, into our ongoing series where we read one year's worth of Invincible comics. And um, yeah, let's go into the credits for Invincible. Drew? In this episode, we are covering issues 71 through 84. This is Invincible, obviously written by Robert Kirkman, penciled by Rand Otley, inked by Cliff Rathburn. This run of issues has a few different colors, but for uh, 71 through 78, there's FCO Placencia. 79 through 81 is Nikos Koutsis, and 82 through 84 is John Rauch. This covers the Viltrumite War storyline. A lot of stuff happens here, yeah. as usual in Invincible, or at least the past couple couple years worth of stories. Lots of action. Mm-hmm. What are your general thoughts and impressions of these issues albert yeah so us having read it uh you know reading it in chunks like this it's it's a pretty interesting experience because i think i'm accustomed to or 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 rather i think movies and media have wired me in a way to expect a certain outcome and, and a certain kind of pacing yeah and i think in my mind there was always a part of me that expected <clears throat> the Viltrumite War to be the like the end of the series, right? Yeah, um, yeah I can see that. Yeah, but so so jumping into it in like you know uh, reading the reading these comics in in these two week chunks uh, or or reading these comics where we talk about them once a month, um, it was. It was kind of like running into a brick wall, honestly, because it was just yeah. It felt pretty sudden, where I was like, "Oh shoot, they're finally doing it. the The actual war is happening, right?" Yeah. So, but I I do think that it's still very much in line with how Robert Kirkman tells stories, which is, uh, he has a habit of subverting expectations a lot of times and. I think it's still true to form when he does that. Well, uh, when when he introduced the Viltrumite War storyline, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's I I'm not mad at the book for doing it. I I wasn't um, upset about it. I was just thrown off and pleasantly surprised, to be quite honest. Yeah, man. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Did you? uh have any thoughts of in terms of uh or would you want to share like what what were some of the surprises that you enjoyed in this run of issues um yeah so when i think about uh so i i'm presuming we're just going to go straight into spoil free territory we're just going to no warning. I think spoilful, man. Spoilful. Sorry, spoilful. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to force feed you all the spoil. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, what I was going to say was, uh, okay, okay, I'll just jump right into it then. Um, I do think that the subversion of my expectations was one of the things that I, I did like about it, uh, about this, the first trade in particular, which was the Viltrumite War arc. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the the fact that Okay, so the thing that we expected was that there was going to be this great big battle, and they did not disappoint on that front, and I did enjoy that a lot. But I actually thought the thing that caught my attention the most, the thing that uh, I found the most gripping, was the conclusion to the war itself. Um, So after they do battle, uh, the Viltrumites, they... the, the What's it called? The the alliance or what? The surviving Viltrumites, or are you talking about the coalition of planets? The coalition. Okay, there we go. So, so the coalition decides to throw everything at the Viltrumites, and there's just this great big battle. And even though the Viltrumites probably have a chance of surviving the battle, um, the likelihood is that they're going to be damaged beyond repair. Uh, or I get that that's the the that's the impression that I get from the battle, right? Yeah. So so they end up fighting it out, and then the Viltrumites basically go off, and they just disappear. And uh, Mark and his dad and Alan and the remaining uh, members of the coalition and Oliver, uh, they're all regrouping. And they come, and Mark comes to the conclusion that we can't find them because, you know, um, they've decided to do to us what we've done to them, which is, in their eyes, we've we've basically destroyed their culture, destroyed their home world. Um, they, they literally destroyed the village. Yeah, they home literally planet. destroyed the home planet. <laughs> that but that was a pretty crazy scene. It was. It was just an amazing splash panel, and to think that just three superpowered people's people would just fly through a planet <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, obliterating it into like tiny little particles yeah that that was a pretty impressive scene right there i mean it was a uh, it was conceptually it was um it's simple but pretty amazing <laughs> yeah and i think the art is what totally sells it because we yeah. get four straight double page splashes and it's just carnage. Right, right, right. I mean, there's so much debris. I'm talking like actual carnage. <laughs> like there is so much carnage. There is so much debris, Drew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's there's just a whole bunch of debris and corpses <laughs> and and things floating around in space after they destroy the planet. Yeah. It's it's wild, man. It is right, really right. wild. And I I think. It's a testament to how Brian Otley is so crucial to the storytelling in in this comic because his art absolutely sells that scene, like the the perspectives and the panels that or the the perspectives and the the images that he drew, like the way it's depicted, man. It, it just shows how chaotic and and massive that whole event was. I mean, it's 
a celestial body being completely obliterated while a bunch of super people are fighting in its orbit. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I was, uh, like I was saying, so after they, like, destroy the planet, like, they literally destroy the planet, but the, I guess the emotional stake is that the the culture of the Viltrumites has been destroyed because uh, they mentioned in the previous uh, comics in the previous years that, you know, there aren't a lot of true Viltrumites left and they're just trying to recover from this virus, this uh, biological weapon that just decimated their numbers. Mm-hmm. And now they're just, as a species, just clinging to survival. Yeah. And, you know, losing this war and losing this home world their home world um they what mark realizes when they like up and leave after the battle up and disappear after the battle is that his his uh hypothesis is that they're going to do the same thing to them which is they're going to go to earth and just wipe out just salt the earth basically you know yeah about any signs that earth as a civilization ever existed you know steal yeah. their steal their home from them so mark and omni-man and um and tech jacket they go they end up going back to earth only to find that earth is still preserved it's still around Mm -hmm. and you know you get this moment where you think it's all good and it's all safe until the leader of the viltrumites show up and he basically says what i'm offering you now is a truce there's more than enough of us where if you decide to battle us here, you know we're just going to like obliterate this planet. But what we're going to do is instead we're going to offer a truce and we're going to live amongst the humans because their uh, genetic uh, code is the most similar or the most compatible with Viltrumite DNA. So we will live amongst the humans and we will intermingle with them and basically replenish our numbers so so the only choice that mark has is either let them take refuge on earth and and, you know have this momentary peace or in the moment in the here and now have this massive confrontation where the entire population of the planet is at stake basically yeah and you know in spite of what he wants to say he takes them up on their offer which is i thought a pretty stunning uh a pretty stunning conclusion to that to that mm-hmm. conflict you know yeah yeah he yeah. makes that choice at the very end not to not to throw hands he's willing to let the viltrumites basically infiltrate earth right and and continue to uh you know, Mark has no idea how to find them, and these surviving Viltrumites are just going to blend in among the population of humanity, probably start reproducing, and one day in the future, who knows when, but one day in the future, when they have enough uh, descendants who are yeah. presumably going to be indoctrinated to their viewpoints, exactly, it's going to be trouble for the entire universe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, uh, when 
when I mentioned earlier that uh, modern media has wired me, like, it feels like I expect it to be, like, Avengers Endgame or something like that, right? Where you have the one final conflict, and that's it. That's the end. And then everybody lives happily ever after or whatever, right? We're, but, we're kind of conditioned by Hollywood to have a clean win for the exactly, good guys. Yeah. Exactly. And it was cool to see that we didn't get that clean win here. It's it's murky, it's muddled, and there's actually, a sense of unease. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, even though the Coalition of Planets destroyed the Viltrumite homeworld and yeah. basically did crazy damage to... Viltrum to the Viltrumites as a whole, uh, like basically destroy their empire because all the planets that they had already conquered, once they saw what the coalition of planets was doing, they switched sides and yeah. turned against their captors. They were cowards. Yeah. So now the Viltrumites, they really had nowhere to go except for for Earth. Yeah. Yeah. But after that conversation, that the I keep forgetting that leader's name is it is it thrag was that his name i'm gonna be honest i don't really remember it either (laughs) and when he has that conversation with with mark and omni man he he's like so cold in what he has to say and you can tell that mark he's thinking about what's happening and in his heart of hearts he really wants to just kill this guy right then and there yeah but intellectually i think he starts to he does realize that if he tries to fight the dude then earth is toast and that's not good that's even yeah. you know it's i felt like that whole scene made it feel like the good guys lost yeah i could see that it it doesn't really feel like a win. Yeah, maybe yeah. for the coalition of planets, they can they can take that as a win. They're like all those other planets, whatever wherever they are in the galaxy, they're they're probably having parades and you know they're celebrating free. that that the yeah. Viltrumites are are done because they're not on the Viltrumites aren't on, aren't on their planets. Yeah, the yeah. Viltrumites are somewhere far away on a backwater called earth so now the coalition is like maybe they're they're still a problem but they're not our problem problem (laughs) yeah at least not right now you know like they have time to both sides have time to build up their defenses and and build up their forces so and unbeknownst to you know the viltrumites the the coalition does have an ace up their sleeve which is they, mm-hmm. they have a version of the virus to yeah. use again and to wipe them out for good. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. it sets it, – there's also this interesting new – this shift in dynamics now where the Coalition, which was once their friend, now because Earth has given refuge to the remaining Viltrumites, the dynamic shift is that we could – the we could force we could foresee a future where invincible and earth may have to go up against the coalition if only out of sheer survival you know yeah yeah exactly yeah. um yeah and i just checked 
His name was Grand Regent Thrag. Thanks, and man. Yeah. He's Thrag, and uh, he was able to make that deal with them because he had the high ground. He was like, don't do it, Mark. I have the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark ended up making a deal with the devil. Yeah. <laughs> you were like it's not going to end me. well. You just know it's not going to end well for anybody. <laughs> it's which is interesting now that I'm thinking about it. It's um I think this is the sort of thing that Robert Kirkman does like I guess a stylistic flourish or a writing flourish that he has um when he's at his best which is which is like I feel like you see this sort of thing in like The Walking Dead, you know? Yeah. Uh, these where he 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 sets the story up to go in one direction and then you know just at the height of tension he finds a way to uh, engineer the circumstances so that there's this sudden shift in dynamics and everyone's just kind of you know thrown for a loop and it's about readjusting to this new status quo you know yeah yeah that's a good point he he really likes that literary the digitation just to throw off our expectations and kind of yeah. play a trick on us basically yeah. he's yeah. like yeah. oh you think you think it's gonna be as simple as this as as yeah. blowing up their planet like that's gonna stop them yeah and <laughs> no, the thing is now, now it's almost like mark and not just mark but mark and the entire planet of earth are in even greater danger than they've ever been in yeah yeah and, and there's the just something is... sinister and absolutely pernicious about this infiltration because the people of earth are number one they're they're totally unaware of what's going on and and secondly if they knew what was going on there isn't really anything they could do about it in fact if they yeah. knew about it if if cecil or the military knew about this they would probably try to fight these vultramites and that would just be bad. everybody's death faster yeah it'd be bad yeah. And I was going to say, like, there are other writers that I've seen who try to do, like, that sort of twist. But Robert Kirkman does it in a way where, especially with Invincible and, like, Walking Dead, now that I think about it, where he's got so many issues to work with that it definitely feels earned. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, let's say someone like a Claremont or something. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't think Claremont deserved to write his twist stories after writing Uncanny X-Men for 16, 17 years? That's not uh, enough issues for you? That's true. That's true. It is still a lot of issues, but there's it's, still it's something about like, the way he does it's, it. It's probably like 40 years worth of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's 10 years worth of comics, but half a century's worth of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's No, you make an interesting point so i i don't know what it is but kirkman maybe he just has that touch where he knows how to do it right where i don't feel robbed by the end when when the twist does happen yeah. whereas there are other people and i'm not even saying claremont but other writers where you get the twist and it's just like what what was that can you think of an example Ooh, uh 
Not off the top of my head. You got anything? Um, I don't know. Are you thinking of something corny like Scott Snyder introducing a long lost brother for Batman? Oh, well, uh, okay. There's that, but I just thought of another one. Um, Zorn, who we thought was Magneto, turned out not to be Magneto, and he's actually a twin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. I don't know if that really counts as a twist or a swerve, though, because it, that was Chuck Austin writing that story. You know, it, it it wasn't like Grant Morrison set that up. That's true. So it's, it's I think it's kind of different when another writer yeah, yeah. does something like that. It's I guess that's well, what people. But to be fair, retcon. To be fair, it's still pretty bad. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm always down with mocking that. Yeah, that story. I mean, Chuck Austin's one of the worst writers in Marvel and DC history for good reason. I mean, he he earned that. He earned that. Uh, I don't. Well, it's not an accolade, but <laughs> he earned <laughs> that reputation. He earned that reputation exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's not easy to become universally reviled like that. Yeah. And, you know, a little off topic, but I'm pretty sure he burned a bunch of bridges on <laughs> while he was in the middle of doing it. So it's not only that he's a bad writer, but apparently he's not very personable either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe one of these days we should uh, discuss one of his comics for the podcast. Just to, just to really Maybe examine. Maybe in the distant, why... distant future so I can really brace myself. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, it'd be interesting to dissect what makes his stories really not work. Oh, man. That it's would be a lot of content, on, though. Don't huh? you think that Between the Gutters is too positive too often? Mm. When was the last time we really denigrated a comic? I don't think... I don't think we go into this trying to denigrate anything. Um, well, that's not true. Uh, I do feel like when we get the chance to mock Scott or Zack Snyder, we do that. So, yeah, you know, we might not dedicate an entire episode to it, but we'll denigrate. (laughs) That's true. That's true. We could watch the Snyder cut. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure... There are better ways for me to waste four hours of my life. Yeah. You could sleep for four hours. I could sit here and throw a softball at my nuts for four hours. And it might be more entertaining. <laughs> you know, a softball is not actually soft, right? I'm well aware of that. <laughs> um. But anyways, back to the back to Invincible. Um, yeah, so that in that first year, that was it was that that first trade uh, volume. What was it? Fourteen. Yeah, the Viltrumite War, and volume fifteen is Get Smart. Yeah, uh, volume fourteen was it it was longer than most trades i think from what i remember because it was like eight chapters yeah that one was like eight that. chapters plus issue 75 was double sized yeah 
And it's interesting how even though there was a lot, like it was just so fast moving, you know, and there was yeah. just so much going on. It didn't feel like it dragged at all. Yeah. Yeah. The crazy thing is, is that I think 10 months actually passed in the story, mm-hmm. but so much of that 10 months was Mark being in a coma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is well, touched upon uh, in the in the later story arc, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was an interesting structure, man, because it the passage of time not only helps it um, seem more believable that the coalition could build up their forces for a, a final attack, but it also helps us uh, prepare for the next story arc, because when Mark returns, by the time Mark returns to Earth. Since so much time has passed, all the, the people, all his friends and his allies' relationships and things that are going on on Earth have evolved as well. So it's almost like getting thrown into, it's not like a a dark future or anything or a twisted future, but he finds that things are different from when he remembered it when he left. Mm-hmm. It's almost like time travel, but actual time <laughs> yeah traveling forward in time <laughs> we're, we're, we're time traveling too albert we are we are we're adventurers yeah see <laughs> we just moved forward in time uh yeah did you notice anything else or did you make any other observations about uh the viltrumite war arc uh I don't know if this is really an observation specifically about the Viltrumite War arc, but one of the things that I that stood out to me in regards to the entire uh, chunk of issues that we read for this episode were a couple of of ideas, and I, I felt like for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just my mind trying to look for stuff, or if it's just more blatant in these issues but i felt like thematically there were a couple of things that jumped out and the the first thing that jumped out to me was that it feels like this is a story about the the exploration of power even more so than previous issues and stories in invincible i mean it, it it's it's always been an ongoing theme it'll probably always be a theme related to any kind of superhero type of story. But what interested me with with uh, these issues was how it explored not just the physical power of Invincible or the Viltrumites or any of the other superpowered characters, but it, it was an interesting exploration of power uh, in terms of just displaying control over somebody else like specifically that ending that you mentioned where thrag tells mark this is how it's going to be and if you don't like it and we fight right now everything's just going to end for you and this planet Mm. you know so in a way he's 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 not only physically more powerful most likely physically more powerful than mark but thrag also has he was able to exert 
a specific type of power over Mark because he just had one. You know, there there was nothing. He had really one Mark over him. Do yeah, exactly. He had one yeah. over him. He he had all the cards in in that situation, and and Mark couldn't do anything but essentially acquiesce to what Thrag manipulated him into. Mm-hmm. You know, he Thrag was playing. He was playing chess. You know, he was. He was playing chess when everybody else was playing checkers, and it's it, it wasn't just about brute force, but it was really about exerting control over somebody else. You know, in in that moment when Mark agrees to the deal, he's Mark looks defeated. You know, like he he looks like a man that has lost control of the situation, and there's nothing he can really do except. Do what the other guy tells him to do. Yeah. That, that's what stinks. That, that yeah. really stinks. Totally, totally. But I also see in the subsequent stories in the second, in volume 15, that trade paperback, there's still a lot of interesting things in, in regards to power dynamics in that story as well. Mm. Because there, we start to see Mark, uh, he's not, you. what's that? I was. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say we, we start to see Mark use his power not just in a physical way, but he's he's starting to use his his mind as well. Yeah. And and what he's doing in in the second half of these issues is using his mind to, in a way, try to be become more powerful than he is. You know, it's it's that yeah. It's that sense of using his mind to solve the problems that his physical power can't solve yeah yeah there's uh i was gonna say um it feels like in in the next arc uh the the get smart trade right mm-hmm. it's entitled get smart yeah. it it feels like there's definitely an evolution going on in in mark's uh life as as he looks at he begins to question, you know, with all of his power, um, all all he ever seems to do as a superhero is maintain the status quo and beat up the bad guys after the fact or to prevent them from doing something as opposed to genuinely making the world a better place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a scene where he he begins to look back at some of the recent villains that he's met and he tells himself uh or i forget who he was talking to but he he essentially says he essentially says something to the effect of i'm i'm asking myself what their motivations are and like to me they're evil but to 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 him this guy was just desperate you know yeah like he they, he had something that he wanted to do. There was a reason why he did it, you know? And yeah. it's in the understanding of that that he, he's going to try to move away. At least he's he's toying with the idea of moving away from superheroics to exerting his power in a way that's more constructive, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than yeah. destructive. Yeah. And not only that, but in a way, it's kind of scary too, because 
if he exerts his power that way, in the way that we see him start moving in that direction in volume 15, if he starts going down that path to its logical conclusion, there's something frightening about that too. You there know, is. Because in a way, he's, a, he's exerting control over people that can't do anything about it. Mm. There's no one that... Like, if he started... I mean, it ends with, with him deciding to team up with Dinosaurus. <laughs> what a great name. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's him teaming up with a super intelligent talking T-Rex. <laughs> and, and they're going to use their combined intellect and might in order to shape the world. And in their minds, they're going to improve the planet. But it's like anytime you read a superhero comic where the guy who's as powerful as Superman or Invincible is trying to change the planet, that that's that's always some kind of moral fable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is kind of a this is kind of a story that we've seen in other superhero comics. It's an idea that gets explored in a lot of the more uh I don't know. I, I don't know if you would call them postmodern superheroes, but ever since things like Squadron Supreme from the 1980s and Marvels, you know, uh, or not Marvels, uh, Kingdom Come, mm. and uh, obviously Watchmen, uh, The Authority, you know, there's just a whole lineage of comics that's all about supermen imposing their will on a planet to change mm. it. Mm. And though they may have great intentions, it's it's pretty tough to think of a story where that where that power had doesn't get ending. abused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. But I think that's what's fascinating about this story is because unlike a lot of those other comics, Invincible has had so much time to build up its own unique world as well as the main character. Mm. Like we're already on issue. We just finished issue 84 and you know, something like squadron Supreme, it it didn't have 80 issues before they'd told that story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was more of a, a standalone story. So to see a character that we witnessed as readers grow up from his high school years to, I, I don't know, I guess he's probably in his like early 20s by now. It's it's fascinating to see how all of the things that he's been through have shaped him to yeah. the point where now he's willing to go to these lengths. Because it wasn't that long ago when he was giving his younger brother lectures about killing people. Mm. And then you, you slowly start to see him compromise and he starts thinking there are some people that do need killing and yeah. if, if they come at us i'm not going to hesitate i won't hesitate yeah, yeah. Like they have to they have to be killed in order for other people to be safe yeah and it's, it's almost like that small uh that one compromise kind of opens up the floodgates by the time we get here cuz he's he's straight up busting dinosaurus out of prison man like they yeah. had dinosaurus in a way where he was trapped in his human form 
couldn't do any harm to anybody. And, you know, that would that would be the end of it. But Mark ends up breaking him out of prison and awakening Dinosaurus. And now they're just in a secret hideout somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And the how world do, is how do you chasing do that them down? And not think that's something sinister, you know? Like, at the end of the story, when, when Cecil finds out what Mark did, yeah, of course he's going to say he's an enemy of of the planet now you know like there's there's no other way to read that situation if you were if you were uh an inhabitant of the planet or just you know a person living in the story like that's the only way you could interpret that like you wouldn't want your hero to break out of a guy who obliterated an entire city right right that 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 just doesn't make sense yeah yeah um yeah that was well put uh it's i think i might be a little more optimistic than you in my viewing of it because because i think when i read those that scene i did take it take him on on faith that he was gonna use his power to do good but it's true right like whenever that level of power is exerted um it's tempting fate to to do something worse right because it becomes Mm -hmm. a question of where the line is drawn Mm -hmm. and you totally in, in spite of uh you know whatever good he does not unfortunately not all acts of good are necessarily good for everyone, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and, and not only that, but sometimes intentions only take you so far. I exactly. I don't doubt Mark's intentions at all. Yeah. I know he's trying to do good for the planet as a whole. But the other theme that I saw a lot in this in these issues was compromise. You know, like there's just this series of compromises that Mark makes to get to the point where he's at and it makes me wonder as a reader how far he's willing to go pretty much like what you were saying man it's like if he if he's willing to to do this or that what's to say that the next thing he does is going to be even worse Hmm. it's it's interesting when i like take a step back and think about it about what robert kirkman was doing as he was writing this i I wonder like i wish i could pick his brain just to see like how deliberate he was like how far ahead he had planned all this out mm-hmm. or if he even planned it out all the way to the very end of the series you know because uh, again like the craft of just how he does how his how he does his storytelling it just it's all just so seamless that even when you do get these twists uh these changes these shifts um it doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere you know yeah it 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 i mean it's it's still a surprise but on some level it makes sense and when you stop and really think about it it's like oh all the all the narrative parts were there all along but they were just kind of well hidden so that when the turn does happen again it it all it it feels like oh 
that makes sense. You know, it could have gone this way or it could have yeah. gone that way. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm I wish I could pick his brain on the, about that sort of thing. You know, totally, totally. It it really does feel intentional and purposeful the way that he builds up to this. Because mm. going back to the idea of compromise, the the moral compromises in in the series, it started a little while ago, where Invincible wasn't even willing to let Oliver kill, and then all of a sudden, you slowly start to see him kind of evolve in his thinking, right? Where he's he starts thinking maybe Oliver isn't totally off the mark. Maybe maybe there is some there are some people that are so bad that they do need to be killed. And if if they, you know, come after his family, then yeah, Mark's not gonna hold back. And then uh, on top of that, you have those scenes where, well, for the past couple uh, trades, Mark and Cecil were at odds because Mark, being at the time being morally upright, he he didn't appreciate Cecil basically taking advantage of some of the villains that Mark had captured and putting them to work for the government. Mm, mm. Right, like he's he's allowing Cecil allowed D.A. Sinclair, who was a mad scientist and ended up kidnapping and murdering homeless people to turn into automated super soldiers. You know, he that 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 sounds like a crime that should get you the death penalty, but Cecil <laughs> <laughs> Cecil just gave him a job. Yeah, yeah. He's a pragmatist. Yeah, and and you see Mark being so upset about that, but over over time, man, after he goes through all all these things with the Viltrumites, he starts understanding that, or he starts thinking that Cecil may have a good point. You know, he starts thinking, yeah, maybe what Cecil is doing uh, makes actual actually does make sense. There is a uh, a reason to put these villains or former villains to work if they can do something for the greater good and yeah being able to see mark slowly turn around to that way of thinking it it makes sense because it, it doesn't just happen in in the span of an issue it happens over the span of a year's worth of issues mm. or even more you know like it probably yeah. all these yeah it's all this slow stuff percolating through dialogue over a bunch of issues. So you you definitely do feel the impression that the narrative gives the character of Mark Grayson a chance to process things, think about the situation, and eventually even change his stance. Whereas before he would have... Like where Mark was 40 issues ago is not where he is now. He's, He's not a completely different person because at his heart, I still believe that he's just this innately good guy who wants to use his powers responsibly but a lot of other things he's a lot different you know yeah yeah and and i think that makes the story and the character intensely fascinating it's the sort of thing that makes me want to keep on reading yeah for sure it's um 
it's real character development, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels like real character development because it just—it's just such layered complexities mm-hmm. that feel totally earned. Yeah, totally earned, totally real. Just you know, this is this is just how people kind of are. They're you know, we contain. Um, we contain multitudes. Multitudes, exactly. Like we're not one thing from one day to the next, and whether we are aware of it or not, we we evolve, even if it is by degrees, right? And over mm-hmm. time, you know, looking back, those degrees add up, and at the end of it all, you're some amalgamation of what you were and what you've become. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think you just made me think of uh this one song from De La Soul. Or this one line, but pause the news. He basically says if I'm quoting the the line correctly, I think he says something like F being hard, pause the news is complicated. You know, it's like <laughs> we're not just one thing. We're yeah. we're complicated, man. And yeah. Yeah, that that I feel like that really sums it up. Yeah. No, I, I I and I appreciate that level of complexity. I appreciate that like Robert Kirkman is writing uh Mark Grayson as someone who has these conflicts because you know, don't get me wrong, I enjoy my superhero comics and I like knowing that right is right and bad is bad. Yeah. And and stuff like that, but um sometimes when someone offers you something that like kicks it up to another level, uh, it makes you realize, you know, like how much more the the genre can be, right? Yeah, totally, man. There's added depth to it because of that. It's it's good to see a layer of moral complexity added into the story in an organic way, where it's it it's not just trying to tear down the concept of superheroes. It actually, this story actually feels like it's trying to explore. It's asking a question. <laughs> yeah, it's trying to, it's asking a question and it's going to attempt to explore the answers to that question. Mm-hmm. And as the reader, I just feel like I want to see where he goes with this because yeah. it is fun to explore those answers. I don't even know if if there's going to be like one correct answer, but just to explore those ideas and to have something have some to have something to contemplate you know it it's nice yeah. to to come away from a story even if even if like half the story was still people punching a planet and like destroying a planet and causing all this chaos and and tearing each other's entrails out of the yeah. torsos you know like yeah yeah there there's plenty of that in here but it, after i put down the comic i can still walk away and think about something more than uh the visceral action yeah yeah for sure um one of the other like plot developments that occurred uh over the course of the story was mark returning to earth and in the last uh year there was a revelation that Adam Eve actually became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And 
So when he returns to Earth, like, first of all, when he returns to Earth, like, and you see Adam Eve again, and I thought this was an interesting choice, but she's, uh, she's gained some weight since he last saw her, you know? Mm -hmm. And it has been 10 months. Yeah, it has been 10 months. And over the course of, uh, the, this year's worth of comics, she maintains that look, and I thought that was an interesting choice, you know, because uh, superhero comics being what they are, characters tend to be pretty static. Yeah, yeah, that's know? true. But you know, maybe with the occasional like costume change or whatever, but overall, like looks wise uh you know everyone tends to have a pretty idealized physique yeah right? like you would and, never see lois lane gain a bunch of weight like that yeah yeah right um so for 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 them to show her like this and to like keep it keep the weight on over the you know following uh, issues i was like huh that's a that's a real interesting choice yeah yeah but it, it adds a level of i guess realism to the to the story yeah just to just to know that hey people do gain weight <laughs> yeah know? it's like yeah exactly yeah. nothing nothing uh it's a nice touch. It's a nice yeah, touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um but in addition to that, uh you know, they they reconnect and they you know, Mark and Adam Eve reconnect reconnect and they you know, they they've spent this time apart and Mark's been through through these crazy battles where, you know, he's just been eviscerated, you know? Literally eviscerated. Literally eviscerated and on the brink of death. And it's it's a relief for them to be back together, but there's still this underlying tension that um, Adam Eve or Eve has has this information about her pregnancy that she didn't tell him about. And mm-hmm. she finally reveals to him at one point in the story that, she, you know, when he left, she had this child or she had, you know, knowledge that she was pregnant and being by herself without, you know, anyone, without him to, uh, you know, be there to support her, she she made a decision which was to abort the child mm-hmm. and that was like some that was some heavy stuff man yeah yeah it it's it's not something uh you see in a typical marvel or dc comic that's for sure yeah yeah um i think yeah, the way I, that it was handled in invincible was pretty well done too it wasn't it didn't come off as as like anything preachy but it was it was more just presented in a way where this was a thing that happened yeah and and both of them are dealing with it and maybe maybe there's a little bit of of cheating where how they kind of deal with it is off panel but at least 
when she, the moment when the scene where she tells Mark about the abortion, that felt like uh, a genuinely earned moment. You know, like it felt like the emotions that that were there were were authentic, and there was just a lot of uh, you know, they, they there wasn't really much that they could say after sharing that news other than just to hold each other and, and cry. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, I feel like any other writer would feel like we need to have, like, this great big monologue or, like, you know, this exchange of dialogue between these two characters, but it's pretty unnecessary, you know? Yeah. It's just such an emotionally, like, devastating thing to have happen that sometimes well i mean yeah less is more right so it's it's the idea that their behaviors convey way more than any fabricated speech Mm -hmm. that uh they could come up with for either of those characters yeah yeah and in a way uh it's probably even better the way it was executed because now we we kind of have our imaginations to swim in you know we can use our imaginations to to maybe not exactly fill in the blanks but it's it's another level of speculation into the story that that we can engage in where we we may not know exactly like how they've continued to deal with it because it's it's not really explicitly uh presented on panel but obviously because the passage of time continues to occur through the rest of the issues it's it's not like i think just from seeing how they continue to talk to each other and care for each other i feel like that that says a lot in and of itself and how they're dealing with it mm mm Yeah. Were there any other elements that stood out to you? Um, there was uh, there were some new plot threads that they put out there uh, that I'm I'm curious about. One of them being that there was this species I forget what they were called, but they basically live in a dimension that runs on accelerated time oh yeah and and we've seen them earlier on in the series a couple of times but this time around they invaded and uh robot and monster girl end up uh running back into one of their portals and going into their dimension and they just disappear for a brief period of time and the next time we see them they're both aged up like as adults and yeah i think and, it, i think they said uh they were there for about 12 years yeah in the yeah. in the flaxen dimension the, yeah that's in, what the aliens were called the flaxens right in there so yeah they were living 12 years in their time but it was a pretty it was a brief amount of time on our end right or you know mm-hmm. in their reality and yeah. 10 months passed yeah exactly so they went in there and it's revealed that they basically helped them to reshape their society into this peaceful 
I mean, it sounds like a utopia, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. when when they came back, but when they they willingly choose to come back and a uh, robot who goes by the name of Rex now, uh, you know, I, I assume in honor of Rex Blood. Yeah, he, that's exactly why. He, he said that uh, at Rex's funeral that he was right. going to go by Rex, the name Rex. Right, right. So now that they're back, uh, we don't, we as the readers aren't necessarily privy privy to all the details, but you can definitely see that something has affected Rex pretty severely, and it's shaken him, shaken him to his core. Shaken him. <laughs> you know, shaken. <laughs> What's shaken? Good looking. <laughs> Uh, what's shaking, Gid Gid Lakin? But yeah, uh, you can you can tell that there's something going on between Rex and Monster Girl, um, but we just don't know what it is. Yeah, Yeah, there's like some sort of rift, and there's definitely a level of like discomfort. And maybe even hurt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely hurt. Yeah. Robot's robots pretty uh pretty sad. I mean it, it's yeah, that's one of the things that stood out to me too, because I, I think I've mentioned in previous episodes how their relationship and their story with each other was one of the things that really grabbed my attention. So it's it's something I, I want to see more of in, in future issues. Like we're we're kind of at that point now where uh the the trades that that we just read I I read them once when they first when I first got the hardcover. Mm-hmm. But my memory of these issues was was pretty spotty. Like I mean I remembered that there was a Viltramite war. I remembered that the planet got blown up. But I I didn't even remember something like Adam Eve getting an abortion. So like there were just like a lot of things in the story that that I forgot. I mean I I remembered Dinosaurus and Invincible teaming up. I didn't remember that Invincible actually busted him out of prison. So I think that's kind of a big one. <laughs> yeah, I think the the next hardcover or so the next two trades. I've read those once also, and then I think after that is my that might have been when I fell off the wagon. So mm. it, it it was always the, the earlier volumes that were pretty strong in my mind because I read them multiple times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so now I'm almost at that place where you and it's I are both completely them and experiencing them for the first time. Mm. Nice. So it'll yeah, be man. a completely blind experience for both of us. Yeah, in a couple of months. I think, yeah, like I said, the, the next volume, I've read it once, and I think I, there are some things I do remember, but I, I'm definitely looking forward to the stuff that I haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here, man. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to all of it just because, you know, it's been so good so far, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Like now, it's like you were saying, man, like with everything that we've read now that I've put it down, 
I just want to keep chasing that that feeling <laughs> by and, yeah. and and uh trying to satisfy my curiosity about what's going to happen next. Yeah, totally. That's the fun of superhero comics, I guess, when they're done this well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. By Is the way, there... that, I was also going to say that issue 75 was a really good anniversary type of issue. The the one that's the one where they blow up the planet. <laughs> but that that issue was just balls to the walls action, crazy powerful people flying around in space, doing crazy stuff, just beating the crap out of each other. That's that's like superhero comics at their most at their purest form, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. If you distill superheroics into their most basic elements, it's just a whole lot of punching and destruction and that issue delivered. Yeah, for sure. It was just it was a just a fest of just punches and explosions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eviscerations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never failed to be amused by how this book tends to feel pretty PG until you get to the violence. Yeah. Like they've they've done pretty well in terms of not using a lot of foul language. They've done well in not showing nudity, even though there's implied sex here and there. They've never actually shown anything, you know. It's never it, it never feels like anything that you wouldn't see on a network TV show. Right, right. It's just that the violence is out of control. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, like when I think about it, is that I feel like every time they do a bunch of... Every time I think that they've hit the peak on violence, they they find a way to top it like yeah. <laughs> further on down the line, right? They really do. <laughs> I mean, like, I felt like this year's worth of issues had the most detailed intestines I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like, previously, I, it was just people's heads getting crushed yeah. or uh, bodies getting punched through, and you just see a bunch of blood fly out of their chest. But this one was like, you had Mark have his entrails get split open and, and spill out of his body. The same thing happens to his dad. Uh, there's a a whole sequence where Mark is imagining what's going to happen to Earth if the Viltrumites are there. And he just imagines uh, Thrag popping off Cecil's head just by crushing his neck. Yeah. And like, Adam Eve gets chopped in half. Yeah, literally mom, just in his mom half. Is decapitated. Diagonally, too. <laughs> it's not even a clean... It's a clean cut, but it's not like, you know... It wasn't instantly cauterized or anything. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, there's there's just something that amuses me about seeing all the violence, even though the book tries so hard to be fairly friendly. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I was gonna say, like up to this point, like the the last thing that I remember was uh Invincible's battle with Conquest. And I mm -hmm. thought that was again the height of the violence up to that point and then yeah. i got to this year and it was just like you know 
double what was going on in the fight against uh, Conquest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one thing to see him turn a dude's head into paste. It's another to see his intestines flopping around everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> another thing I wanted to mention was, and I don't know if this is, I don't know this for sure, and maybe you can uh, clarify or confirm for me, but I feel like they had a different colorist or something in the in, in the second half of the book. Yeah, yeah, they they switched colorist. Uh, so, like I was saying when I was reading off the credits at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Cassio Placentia did the Viltrumite War arc, and then after yeah. that, there were two different colors for the next arc. Yeah. I and thought I think, it was... Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think this was the point when FCO Placentia left Invincible to, to go on Batman, because I think he colored Greg Capullo when the New 52 launched. Oof. Oof. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you got paid a lot, but... Uh, yeah. Oof. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in my in my eyes, that's a downgrade. Yeah, I mean, I will say that I did like the new colorist. I mean, it was interesting because they gave him kind of a fleshy tone. Yeah, you know? were, yeah. The the gradients were kind of out of control. I thought personally, I actually didn't really like the coloring. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's just more of a personal taste thing, though. I think I think I actually liked how. Bill Crabtree colored it in the earlier issues because mm. before FCO Placencia came on, the coloring tended to be more of a flatter style. Yeah. Like bold, bold colors that, that didn't have a whole lot of gradations. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know if it suited this book better than the current styles that we've got right now, but I think, or if it's just a case where I got used to that style and, like, you know, sometimes when you see something and it's like the first way of them doing it, you just kind of get used to that that way and you want them to stick with it. So I I think even when FCO Placencia came on, I, I still missed the way that the book used to look. I mean, the the line the line art is still fantastic all around. I mean, whether whether Otley was inking himself or Cliff Rathburn inking him, like I still think the line art it just continues to improve and improve in terms of detail and and texture let alone uh the layouts and compositions but it's it's the coloring that that really changes um throughout the course of the series so far you know it, it's and and to me uh just my personal taste I, I don't necessarily like it maybe i have to get used to it mm. Uh, but, but yeah, I want to hear what you appreciated about the coloring. Um, I don't know. I think what I, like, so as I was reading it and, you know, like I said, uh, I, I think I've said this in the past. I don't really think about these things too often. I, I'm, I'm a pretty... Like, I'm pretty id-centric when it comes to how I enjoy my comics. It's just really about how it makes me feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I will say that when that change happened, I did notice it. And looking at it, I, 
I don't know. I, I, I think, I think I liked being able to see the line work, but with, yeah, like you said, the gradations, right? So it, it made it feel like there was a little more depth to their look, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I personally enjoyed it, and that's, I, I think that's all I can really say about that. I, like, I, yeah. I don't yeah. really. No, I, I get it. It makes yeah. sense. I yeah. do think that there's still room for improvement. Like I, I don't remember how uh, the next volumes look, but, but uh, you know, it, I'm sure it always takes time for a new artist or new colors to to get used to the book to find their groove. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. It kind of felt like, uh, like these last couple issues, eighty, eighty three and eighty four, kind of felt like there was a a filter on them for some reason. Like they were, they looked darker. Even the mm. scene where I'm looking at it right now, but the scene when Invincible and Cecil are observing what happened in in Las Vegas and how it's been destroyed and turned to glass, basically. Mm. But they're, they're outside under the sweltering desert sun, and it's a... I mean, there are some clouds, but it, it's mainly a, a clear blue sky. And even then, the way that it's colored, it makes it look darker than... It, than it feels mm. so i thought that was a little bit a little bit odd to me mm. one thing that has been consistent is russ wooten's lettering though like he's he's lettered i think every single issue of the book so far and to me that his his style is pretty integral to the art itself so mm. it, it's it still reminds me a little bit of John Workman stuff in in uh in things like Walt Simonson's Thor. He's kind of got that classic style of of lettering which I really like. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm looking through these now. I'm trying to see if uh Oh, we missed one one big detail actually. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so one another story element that they uh, addressed in this current in in this year's worth of stories is uh, is the fact that Mark's mom and Omni Man have reconciled mm-hmm. to some degree, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, which is you know the last time that they were together or not even together, the last time that his mother saw uh, Omni-Man was, you know, video footage of him basically saying that she's a pet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Uh, and and leaving the Earth forever, ever, basically becoming like a, a, a deadbeat dad and, <laughs> you know, an absentee husband um, after admitting that, you know, he's there to enslave mankind yeah but yeah like they they have a moment of uh reconciliation where omni-man goes into how all of his experiences on earth really changed him and ultimately how he you know even when he, he was saying all those terrible things 
he in his heart knew that he had changed drastically from who he was and that deep down inside he knew he didn't believe any of those things that he was saying mm-hmm. and that he felt genuine love for um Mark's mom, his wife, you know. Did you believe him, Albert? Oh. Uh, should I not? <laughs> if if you were Debbie, would you take him back? I probably wouldn't. That's a <laughs> that's a it's a pretty big thing to ignore. <laughs> What's it's a, a huge thing? thing to ignore. What's a big huh? thing to ignore? The fact that he um he basically lied to them for like decades. You and don't then think on you top could of forgive that, that? And on top of that, when he left the planet, he ended up fathering a child with a mantis lady. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of things that you have to be incredibly accepting of in order for you to be okay with what's going on, right? So do you find this relationship unrealistic? Uh, let me put it this way. I have enough faith that Robert Kirkman has something, you know, he's he's going to have something up his sleeve. So if something is going to happen, I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that it's going to work out in a way that is believable for the sake of the story. Mm-hmm. How do you think it would work out? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she would have just asked him to leave, and and you know, and. I'm being nice when I say that she would have asked him to leave. I'm pretty sure there would have been a lot more swearing involved. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the day, it's not completely unbelievable that she would be willing to take him back or at least explore getting to know him again. Well, she did say that, so it's it's kind of a comedic little moment, but in the mo- in the scene, um Omni Man basically is he's got like, you know, the widest grin from ear to ear when he says, Me and your mom reconciled and she's still saying she's basically saying, um Well, no, we haven't. You know, we're just talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. But I did think it was funny how they drew Omni-Man, like how happy he was, <laughs> you know, that um, he was able to convince his wife to to even do that for him, right? Oh, okay. I thought you were about to say you inferred that they had sex or something. Did they? I mean, I, I didn't think that until you just started talking about how he's smiling so big. And so that's that's where I thought you were going with that train of thought. Oh, no. I mean, my presumption was that he was just smiling really big because, you know, she was willing to talk to him. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, he was that, you know, the very fact that he was able to get his foot through the door, because, like I said, realistically mm-hmm. speaking, 
she didn't know him anything at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she really didn't. Yeah. So uh, it, it's it is kind of it's it's a pretty tough thing to imagine. I mean, he didn't just say all those things about her when he was fighting Mark. And he didn't just father a child with a mantis lady. Like <laughs> all of that would be pretty bad, but he's also kind of a mass murderer, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> Omni Man charmed you too, man. <laughs> he's JK Simmons. Who wouldn't be charmed by him? But then again, man, even Hitler had a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, he did. That happened. He had a girlfriend who, who loved him unconditionally and was willing to die with him in his bunker. This uh, this podcast took a weird turn. Is it Godwin's <laughs> Law? Does this mean... uh? time to end the podcast now that we've gone to Hitler I don't think there's anything left to say after that all right we're we're pretty speech I'm pretty speechless I'm stunned yeah I I, I can honestly say that when we started this episode I, I wasn't expecting to talk about Hitler at all <laughs> all right <laughs> all right then <laughs> okay all right any other final thoughts Drew I think I'm done Especially after bringing up Hitler. I don't know if there is anything else to say. Although I'm guessing tomorrow when I wake up, I'll probably think of something and be like, dang, how did we not talk about that? Like, (laughs) you know, how did we not talk about that when we were recording? That is often the case, but I've learned to make peace with it. Yeah. We are who we are. We is who we is. We be who we be. Exactly. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope that you continue to read through Invincible with us. Mm -hmm. Feel free to hit us up on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, or you can email us at betweenthegutterspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts on Invincible or I guess any, anything else. We'll, we're willing to entertain almost any kind of conversation. (laughs) (laughs) We just want attention. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, if all goes well, we will do an autopsy on Loki, the Disney Plus TV series. Anything else you want to add, Albert? No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm right with you on that. So we are good. All right. Peace out, everybody. Peace, guys. Yes. At the end of Infinity War, when Thanos did the snap.
do you think that he snapped away animals as well as humans? That's a tough question. I think I don't think it was explicitly answered in any of the movies. If I had to think through it logically, well, even then I guess it kind of depends because Thanos said he was going to wipe out half the population, but I assume, I think that the easy assumption to make is that he just meant the the uh, people. Yeah, people. So, not only uh, on Earth, but on all the other planets. However, his rationale for wiping out half the population was so that the surviving half would have enough natural resources to live in abundance and truly be able to enjoy life as opposed to scrapping through life. So if you... If animals fall under the category of resources, then I could see the animals being spared of the snap. But on the other hand, if half of the people are wiped out of existence and 100% of the animals continue to survive, then it does make me question how that's going to affect the planet because some of those animals without human beings to hunt them or you know to do population control essentially what if their numbers start to grow rampant how is that going to affect the ecosystem mm. and if that starts affecting the ecosystem in a negative way then how is that going to help Thanos's goal of letting the surviving half of people uh, live in comfort? Right, right. Right. No, I'm, I'm equally as conflicted by the possibilities, right? The, the implications. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I'm glad that you that you uh parceled out all the possibilities here so that we could pontificate we ponder. <laughs> ponder exactly what Can you flecked <laughs> what 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 actually happened. I'm still not entirely sure. Uh I'm not entirely sure either. I, I wonder yeah. if a future film will address that at all. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> or is be... that level of detail something that only the two of us would examine? That might be the case. I mean, uh, for all we know, there might be a story in it if someone could come up with a a rational way to introduce that element into a into a story that would excite the masses but 
even if they don't come up with that story for the masses, even if the masses don't appreciate it, I'll appreciate it because I genuinely want to know. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got our imaginations, at least. Mm-hmm. 